Welcome to the Holistic You podcast. I'm your host, James Weiler. The purpose of this podcast is to teach you the things you didn't get taught at school, to teach you the things your parents didn't teach you about what it is to live a happy, healthy, and balanced life. Each week, we'll bring you expert guests to help you break down into bite-sized digestible pieces important life lessons you need to know. This will inspire you with confidence for your own personal journey. Hi, just a quick note. This podcast provides general financial advice only. That means it is not specific to you, your needs, goals or objectives. Don't act on the information until you've spoken with a financial advisor. If you're looking for an advisor, a good place to start is by visiting the ASIC Money Smart website. Welcome back to another episode of the Holistic You podcast. One of the big questions uh, that young people ask today is, how do I actually get in the market? And the answer, we don't want the answer to be, well, you can't have and you can't eat smashed avocado on toast anymore. We want to have the actual answer to this question. And interestingly, there's now an occupation that helps with this very process, and that's called a buyer's agent. Now, today we have one of the most well-known buyer's agents out there, particularly in her area, the eastern suburbs of Sydney, and that is Kimberly Ackerman. Now, the reason I wanted to ask Kimberly specifically to come on this show is because Kimberly actually has a educational series on buying a home from go to woe, as in from start to finish. Kimberly, how are you going today? James, that was a nice intro. Thank you. <laughs> going no, good. Going good? Yeah. That's good. Topic that I love, obviously. There's a lot in it as far as the buying process and, and getting into the market, like you said. So hopefully today we can provide people with a little bit more direction on what to do from the very beginning, especially people who are buying their first homes and sort of don't even know where to start at this point. Absolutely. And it will be a challenge for us to cover this topic in just one episode, but Mm -hmm. we will do our best. Kimberly does love a yarn as well, guys, so I I will try. (laughs) I'll try and shut my mouth and not talk too much. I'm guided by you. Yeah, I'm very bad with that. But it's also it has a lot to say. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It has a lot to say. So so to start off with, so basically Kimberly's program runs through nine steps, uh, guys. And if you do like what Kimberly has to say, she's actually got a coupon code which gives a 25% discount to listeners. And that is THY25. At the end of the podcast, Kimberly will also just let us know where, she, where we can actually find her for that as well. But let's, let's jump in, Kimberly. And start with, let's just start at the very beginning. Where where do we start? Okay, so I'm, let's just pretend I'm a budding uh, young millennial wanting to buy my first home. Where do I actually start? Yeah, so I guess just to preface, a lot of the stuff that we're going to be going through is not necessarily all around the buyer's agent responsibilities. We're going to be throwing in some of the stuff that you go through with mortgage brokers when you get your your lending done. We're going to be going through some of the stuff you go through on your own before you even get to the mortgage broker part. But I guess the the very first step and, you know, the title says it all. I want to buy a home. Now what? You're basically starting from the beginning. And look, most people know that we need to save a deposit of some sort when we go through this process. So we need to be saving some sort of deposit, cash deposit to put towards your new home but there's a few other things that we have to look at saving for not just that big deposit one of the things we go through in this program is how to work out how much money to even save and the formula to put together to work out the home that you want versus how much cash you need to put aside so those big components that you need to save for are typically the deposit that usually ranges on average, 20% of the value of the home you want to buy. So if you're looking at buying a home for a million dollars, you will likely have to save 20% of that, $200,000. 
Now, there's lots of variations there depending on your borrowing power. Sometimes people only need to borrow 10%, 5%, even 0%, depending on your situations. But on average, most banks will lend you what's called 80% of the borrowing of the value of the home, so to say. It's called the LVR, the loan-to-value ratio, and then the client needs to save the other 20%. So we've got our 20%. We've also got to save the second biggest expense, which is our stamp duty as well. A lot of people just think about the deposit, but we've also got to save our stamp duty. And then we've also got to save for things like pest and building reports, paying the lawyer to review the contract. And that can range, you know, between a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand dollars, so to say. So that's really the first step is going through that process and it's really difficult sometimes because I always say it's a little bit like the chicken before the egg scenario. You want to know how much you can borrow from the bank, but then you've got to have this cash aside. And if you have the cash aside, that doesn't necessarily mean the bank's going to lend you the other 80%. You may not service for that 80%. You may not be able to repay that 80%. So it's really good to involve a mortgage broker earlier on. And have those formulas set up so that yourself or you and your partner or anyone when you're going through this process can kind of work out a rough time frame and put this money together so that they can sort of get on that platform to, to start getting out there and looking for property. Well, that, that's great insights and a great place to start. Is, is there any other ways that we can help raise that money? So some of the yeah. things that pop to mind are the first home loan deposit scheme, the first home super saver yep. scheme, some state grants, any of that sort of stuff you think is relevant in this instance? Yeah, for sure. Look, everybody, I guess also just, you know, this is all very general information we're giving and everybody listening to this podcast is really going to have such completely different financial situations and platforms that they're on at the moment. But there's so many things out there that you can do to help that situation so that you don't necessarily need to save that money raw as is and, you know, save for 10 years to get a 20% deposit for your, for your dream home. So like you said, the, the grants or government grants are a great place to start. Finding out what government grants you might be applicable for, you can speak to your broker your mortgage broker, your bank, potentially your accountant when you go through this process and even do your own research to see what are the grants that are existing out there because they change all the time and which ones am I applicable for? For example, if you're a first, first home buyer, you may be applicable for some of the first home grants, but then there are sometimes restrictions against how much you can spend or, or what kind of property purchase price you're looking at. And if you're buying with a partner and they've already bought a home before, in a lot of cases, you can't use a grant because you're buying with someone who's already had a first home in the past. So there's so many restrictions around that, but the first home grants are fantastic. If people have existing properties, you can also look at any equity in those properties as well. Now, I'm not a mortgage broker, but I've had a lot of mortgages in my time. So we will be talking a lot in this call about mortgages and how they're structured and, and equity and things like that. And that's usually a big step of how people get their foot in the door is using existing equity in properties, whether it's their property or maybe their parents' property and using that equity to get their foot in the door for their first home as well. Yeah. So sometimes the, the bank of mum and dad can come yeah. into play. Yeah. Yes, and they don't necessarily have to have the cash ready to give their kids. In a lot of cases, people get what's called like a security guarantee, like they're a guarantor for you, which means that, you know, if you've got your family home and it's paid off or there's tons and tons of money that's been paid off, even if there's a small mortgage on that, they may be able to use their home as security against that 20% that we're supposed to be saving. So rather than paying the 20%, the bank will lend you up to 100% of the value and that 20% that you would normally give them to in cash would just go as security against the property. Because the whole reason we have to provide this deposit up front is because of the market fluctuations. The banks don't want to lend you 100% because 
that asset is secured against your mortgage. If the markets fluctuate a little bit below that 100%, the banks are kind of stuffed in that regard, and that's why they get people to pay this deposit up front. If you have a guarantee of your parents or, or a family member, their property is effectively that 20%, if that makes sense. Now, another option is people can get what's called lender's mortgage insurance. So what that actually means is if they want to borrow more than 80%, just say I only had 10% saved up and the bank could lend me the other 90%, banks have something called LMI or lender's mortgage insurance where if you go over that 80% mark, you pay the insurance fee and they, the bank will allow you to borrow more or higher than that 80%. It's normally a flat fee. Sometimes it can be a couple of tens of thousands of dollars, and it goes on the debt of your mortgage, so it's not like you have to pay it separately, and then you can borrow more than the 80%. There's so many options. Like it's, And I could talk about this all day, just about like possibilities. Actually, on my podcast, I did three episodes on how to buy property without any money. Because there's so many options, cross-collateralization, there's, there's a million different things, but people have options, don't feel like you need to save up for 20 years on that 20, 20% deposit. Yeah. Okay, so we've covered, there's a few different government grants. We've got the First Home Super Saver Scheme. We've got the First yeah. Home Loan Deposit Scheme, the mm-hmm. Bank of Mum and Dad. Um, yeah. And it sounds yeah. like another, <laughs> an LMI if we don't want to yeah. have the 20% deposit. So I, I guess... The devil is in the detail, and obviously we just need to be aware of all the key risks of those as well. For yeah. sure. Be aware of the key risks and also be aware that you may not be eligible for all of these options. So it's just about having a look at your particular situation and working out which is the best one for me, which one works for me with my timeline and my situation, mine and my partner's situation, and use that one as leverage to get into that home faster. Another option which we always give to people as buyers agents is get what's called a stepping stone property where you may not have your dream home first off the bat. Get into maybe an apartment or a townhouse if you want to get a house at the end of the day to, you know, help your growing family. Get into something smaller, get your foot in the door in the market, grow that equity in your property, pay it down a little bit, and then use that stepping stone property to get something bigger down the track. So that's another option, which means you have to save less over a shorter amount of time and you can use the capital growth of, you know, Sydney, for example, or Brisbane to ride that wave into something bigger. Yep, absolutely. Especially in places like Sydney, Kim, I know. Yeah. (laughs) That's all. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I think I heard that the... Um, multiple of salary for a Sydney property is like something like 12 or 13 times. Just ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I had a client that I was actually speaking to the other day. They almost pulled the trigger on a property in, in Bronte in, in Sydney's Eastern Beaches, probably at the start of COVID, I'd say early 2020. And they decided to hold back because um, they weren't really sure what was going on with the economy and every, no one was really sure what was going on at that point. And so they held back. Nine months later, that property sold for almost double. Oh, that's just, and, yeah. And hindsight, of course, but you just think it's crazy. And with the supply and demand, which we could have a whole nother conversation about, when the supply and demand is out of whack and there's too much demand and not enough supply, people get crazy and, and you know, just want to get in a place and they over and over and over extend themselves and they end up way overpaying and that pushes that market up, unfortunately. Yep. Absolutely. And those low interest rates making loans even cheaper, even better for yeah. supporting that. Yeah. Okay. So moving on from the saving and deposit, the pre-approval process, can you tell us what that actually is, the benefits of that, what it entails. Yeah, absolutely. So when we go to buy a home, typically most people don't have 100% of the cash to purchase a home. You know, majority of people that, that we work with and the buyers that are out there in the market, they need a mortgage of some kind. Now, to get that mortgage, before you go out shopping, a lot of people get what's called a pre-approval put in place. So that's basically the bank telling you, 
you know, we've assessed your current situation and conditions and we are comfortable to lend you up to X amount for X amount of purchase price. And that is obviously in combination with the money that they saved at that point. Now, most people either borrow directly from a bank or they may go to a mortgage broker or a lending specialist of some kind. There are pros and cons of both. I work with both types of lenders. Sometimes I work directly with the bank, but either way, they're going to be able to provide you with that reassurance that what you're looking for and the price point you're looking at, they kind of put in writing on paper and provide you with what's called a pre-approval. That pre-approval could take anywhere from days to weeks, depending on the banks. All banks are working at different capacities at the moment. But once you get that pre-approval, you can basically get out there and start shopping for property, so to say. Now, when you go through that process, the banks are going to need all sorts of information from you. They're going to need all of your financial information, your documents, your tax returns, you know, people are buying property in, you know, personal names, companies, trusts. You're going to have to sort all of that out at the beginning. Go through this process and get that piece of paper to get going. You don't really want to start looking for property without some form of pre-approval because you may find something that you really like and things are flying off the shelf at the moment and it will be very disappointing, I can, I can tell you right now. So that pre-approval is really important when you're going through the process. Everybody is different. Everybody goes through a different process of the pre-approval. But one of the things that we go through in our second episode of this this program that we put together is the different jargon and the structures of the mortgage and all your different options. What I kind of find is that a lot of people sign up for mortgages and don't really know what they just signed up for. They don't really understand the structure of what they're on. And when you explain that to somebody, they have lots of questions and they maybe want to rejig that structure personal to them. Some brokers I work with or or that I hear of don't explain that process thorough enough to clients. So if you're getting out there getting a mortgage, understand what you're signing up for and your options and make sure whoever is in charge of helping you through that process is explaining all of the different options and facets to you along the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So almost making sure that you're very informed. Yeah. Yep. It's all it's about, being well informed. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's assume now we've, we've saved um, the deposit, we've got the pre-approval. What's next, Kim? Next is having an understanding of what is achievable in the market. So this is such a big thing for people. This is probably one of the biggest reasons that people come to us as buyers agents and what I've seen quite a lot lately. So a lot of clients that we speak to, they get out there, they might have missed out on, you know, six or seven properties. They paid for pest and building reports and all this sort of stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of the time is because they're going for properties that are outside of their budget. So getting an understanding of what you can afford at the very beginning of your process is going to save people so much time and heartache when they're going through this because they're going to know in advance their expectations are going to be very realistic and very much in alignment with their budget and then they're going to be able to execute something a lot quicker as well. So there's a lot of ways people can do that. The most simplest way and advice I can give people is go onto the sold tab on realestate.com and domain, have a look of what is sold over the last, I'd say, month or two, maybe back to three months maximum because the market is changing all the time, and look at what is sold within your price range. If the houses that have sold within your price range in the areas that you like, if you hate them, we're going to have some problems, right? (laughs) Things aren't going to be as smooth as we think. Either we're going to have to change areas and look at maybe another area that's going to provide you with a different type of home, or we need to change the type of property we're looking at. So there's three big things that people need to take into consideration. You've got your budget, You've got the type of property and the condition of it, like renos, no renos, aspect, everything. And the last thing is the location. And those three things have to balance themselves out. 
one might be higher than another one. The location might be out, but you're getting a nicer home, or it might be closer to the CBD and and a less nicer home that you need to renovate, but it's in a more desirable lifestyle area, for example. So everyone needs to work out what's important to them, align those things, then get out and really start to get into the nitty-gritty of things. Yeah, I imagine um, your clients that are couples, this may be an interesting conversation that you have with them. Maybe cause a little bit of friction. <laughs> Absolutely. And we always say, like, we're kind of like therapists when we're going through this process as well because we want to make sure both partners are happy and those two partners may have different views on what they like and don't like and want and all that sort of stuff. So it's very much a, like, for lack of a better word, like holistic approach when we go through this process to align all of those things so that everybody's happy, but to also make sure that we're being very realistic and honest with people about what they can and can't achieve as well. Yep. Okay. Okay, Okay, great. So now we are actually – so we've just done – I think we're at the the budget and it sounds like we're moving into the search part. Yeah, the search part. Yeah. So what are we doing now? (laughs) (laughs) So the search part, this is when we get to go house shopping, basically, or apartment shopping in some cases. We get to go shopping for a home. And, you know, most people we speak to love, like, at the start, love going to inspections. It's fun. We get to, like, walk through all these different homes and see what's out there and um, what's on the market and stuff. I guess one thing I wanted to cover on on your show was to let people know it's not just the big real estate to come into Maine that they can be looking at. There's, there's so many other things that they can do to find additional stock to property. Now, obviously, in our in our show that we have, we cover everything, but I can definitely touch on some of those things on on this conversation just to give people some insight. But If there's one big advice I can give, it's just stay organized through the search process and timing is everything. If you find a property and you are absolutely in love with it and, you know, you're very realistic about it being achievable or not, my first instincts would be to instantly kick into gear. You know, in the past, we've had to buy property within a a number of hours we've had to exchange on a property and that's getting all the due diligence done, contract reviewed, everything like that. Like it's very fast pace and different areas are going to give different people a different type of pace depending on the market that they're in at the moment. But be very organized, kick into gear immediately if you need to, speak to the agent and find out where the campaign is at and what the owners are wanting to do, if they're wanting to wait till auction, get some more feedback, that's going to give people an indication of what their timeline is for the actual execution of the offer or of the purchase. But the sourcing process in itself, it can go anywhere from days to weeks to months, unfortunately, and that will depend on the market that you're in and how many things are popping up. But people can look at realestate.com and domain. They're obviously our two biggest giants that we're working with. People can also go on to real estate agency websites. They're going to find a lot of good off markets on real estate agency websites. Off markets are basically property that aren't on real estate.com and domain. That's what we class as an off market. They might be on the real estate agent's website. Otherwise, you can always call the agents and ask them, do you have anything that's not being advertised at the moment that would suit this brief that I have? So your agents are going to be your best friend through this process. Don't feel like they're the enemy because you absolutely need to work with them to get them to help you, especially if you don't have a buyer's agent involved. You need to work with the real estate agent. Just keep them at arm's length during the process. Don't give away too much, but be on their side so that they can help you find additional property as well that's not on those normal avenues. Why do people sell off-market versus through a, a realestate.com or domain? It's a great question, yeah. A lot of reasons. Look, we have some people that they might be going through a divorce or some personal family issues. They don't necessarily want their neighbour and the whole street to be knowing their properties on the market, especially in a situation like 
you know, our COVID and, and coronavirus, and they don't want hundreds of people going through their property every week for open inspections. Most sellers, they're still living in that property with their own furniture and their own belongings. Like having open homes twice a week, every week for maybe four to six weeks is very exhausting, especially when you're having strangers come through, especially people who are maybe elderly, don't want to get sick or are afraid of, of maybe getting sick from corona and things like that. They would much happily or much more preferably sell their property at fair market value without being too greedy through a private agent or a buyer's agent and still get the deal done at the end of the day. There's so many different reasons and there are some off markets that are of a premium price that we just have to be careful of. A lot of vendors sort of say to sales agents, yeah, you can sell my property if you get X amount of ridiculous dollars for it. And so that all of a sudden becomes off market and people think, oh my God, great. It's an off market property, but it's way too expensive. So it's just about balancing those things and finding out the why is behind them. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, so now we've gone past the search and we're on to yeah. the due diligence. Yeah, the due diligence. Yeah. yeah. So due diligence is a big thing for me. It's something that I pay very close attention to with the clients that I work with. And sometimes I don't feel like there's enough due diligence done on a property. Due diligence is basically making sure that there's no skeletons in the closet. We're not buying a lemon at the end of the day. So there are a couple of things that people can, I guess, shortlist as items to do when we're going through this process. This is going to be heavily dependent on the type of property you're buying and where you're buying. You know, if you're buying like a rural farm on on 20 acres versus a little apartment in Surrey Hills in, in the city of Sydney, you're going to have different types of due diligence that you're doing, right? But just to go through some of the basic things, you've got to have your contract of sale reviewed with your solicitor or conveyancer. So the sales agent will give you a copy of the contract of sale, which is basically just the document that gets signed by the sale, the seller and the buyer during this process. And it outlines all of the terms and conditions of the sale. That contract of sale goes off to your conveyancer or solicitor during this process. And they basically review it and see if there's anything they feel they need to change that is unfair or, you know, in some ways, not right to sign against to to an extent. I think people have to realize during this time that that contract of sale has been produced by the seller's solicitor. It will always be in favor of the seller. It's been produced by them. But there's definitely some really common things that are always in there and then some out-of-the-box things that we just have to check and make sure. We may want to change the settlement period of how long we wait from exchange settlement from signing the contract to the day you get the keys. We may want to have the property vacant and the tenant out of there or the property we may want to keep the tenant in it and therefore we're happy for the property to have an existing tenant. There's so many different things you can go through but your solicitor or your conveyancer should review that. We also want to for any houses get a pest building report done. There may be an existing pest and building report that the agent has already got done in advance, which can be very helpful. If at any point you feel as if it's not thorough enough, people can get an independent report done. That's fine. But they have to pay for that and they have to pay for the one they order. For any apartments, you'd probably order a strata report of some kind to go through all the the strata and how the, the building's been managed and everything in between. And then there's a lot of additional things like contacting the council, checking any development applications around the home to see if, you know, anything is being built in the next couple of months that may affect the value of that house. Maybe there's a highway going up in the next block. We don't know these things. And so checking the infrastructure of that area as thoroughly as you can is really going to help people through that process. Yeah, wow, that, that sounds like a lot to know, and and even some unknown unknowns, potentially. Yeah. yeah. There's so many out-of-the-box things. I've got a long list of due diligence, and 
every year I add something to it that seems so silly for some people, but is a lesson learnt from a previous year for me. I mean, I'd even do a Google search on the street and on the area. I, I remember I did a Google search and I found out that someone had been murdered in a couple of houses down not long ago in that street. And look, for some people, they wouldn't care about that. But it's it's like you said, it's all about being informed yeah. and then making the decision. So there's, it's unlimited the type of due diligence that you can do. I work with an architect or a couple of architects very closely and they do a different set of due diligence. Sometimes I have clients who say, you know, Kim, we wouldn't really buy this house unless we could maybe like go up a level or extend out. So I get him to come in assess the conditions of the home, the council regulations, the building codes and everything in between. And he's able to to tell my client pre-purchase, yes, you could go out or yes, you could go up. And that's invaluable when we're doing that pre-purchase because a lot of people just think you can go up a level if you want. If that's your home, why can't you can't always because of so many different reasons. And so it's just about understanding all of the parameters of your purchase and what's important to you as well. Yep. Okay. So now we've done our due diligence. We're now moving on to valuing the property. And obviously we don't want to overpay. We want to pay what's fair value. Yeah, this is a big one. This is a complicated one as well. Valuing property is, uh, in my career, it was probably one of the biggest things that I really wanted to master. And I've worked with a lot of professional valuers over the years to understand how they work from a professional valuer perspective and then adapt that to what we can do from an estimate valuation just to make sure we're not grossly overpaying for these opportunities. So I guess the first thing I want to say is the value of a home is never a definitive dollar value. It's not like you're going to go find a house and say that is worth $1.2,365.75. It's just not, that's just not how it works. The value is, the market value is very much dependent on statistics, statistical information of what has sold recently and how does that property stack up to those properties? Whereabouts in the line is it? If you've got one that is maybe smaller, less renovated, that sold for 1.2, and then you have one with like an extra bedroom, it's more renovated, a larger block sold for 1.4, your property might sit somewhere in the 1.3 range. So it's about trying to understand how to do that. And there are some things that people can do when they don't have any experience in valuing properties. A lot of the time, the guides that we're working with from agents are not reflective of the price that they actually want for the vendor. It's a big thing here in Sydney. I know that. You know, other states around the country have to deal with different markets. Some are very realistic price guides, but a lot of the guides that we deal with are very unrealistic and you may have to add another 10 or 15% on top to actually get to the price that the property is worth. So the way people can do that is by looking at sold prices over the past one to three months of similar properties, similar regions, similar properties, same suburb if you can, and same type of property. That's that's a big thing, making a note of those things. And and on our program, we go through a step-by-step formula of how you can try and do this in a very strategic way. But getting those sold prices is going to help you start to get a realistic idea of where does this one sit and what is it worth? Sometimes we don't have comparable properties to use. So another way that I sometimes, or another tool that I use to value property is sometimes looking at what it last sold for. So just say that property or that home sold for 900000 six years ago. And now we're in 2022. I will look at the market growth of that area since then and add that percentage on top of that last sold price. Sometimes that gives you a rough indication of where you're at at the moment. Sometimes it throws you off a little bit, especially if the property's had renovations, if the area is gentrified, if if all these sorts of things, but it's just another tool that you can use 
when yeah. you go through yeah. that process as well. A lot of people get valuation reports done by their bank and RP data and some other data houses like that. Look, sometimes they're on point, but most of the time they're using statistical buying information of what has sold. The bank valuation reports, like the automatically generated ones, they have no idea if the property's renovated or not. They have no idea if the property has views or not. It doesn't take into consideration those things. It just looks at things like bed, bath, cars, lot size, and location. So this is something for people to keep in mind when they do get those reports. Just don't use it as gospel. Do your own research and try and work out as close as you can. Give yourself a range it sits somewhere in between. It might be a hundred grand range. It sits somewhere in between here. Now let's get the the feedback from the sales agent and the other buyers and where they're at, and just gather, gather, gather information to see where you need to come in at. And if you need to come above that that valuation line, at least you're informed. Like you said earlier, you know you're slightly overpaying to get that property over the line. And if you're going to hold the property for 5, 10, 15 years, if this is a long-term home, that capital growth is going to well surpass that overpayment that you've just made. Do you know what I mean? Yep. It's massive. It's just a psychological thing for, for people to get past as well. Yep. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot there to unpack. There <laughs> is. Like, we could do a whole thing on on just on valuations, but there yeah. there's some tips for people to use to do themselves and to kind of work that out themselves. Yeah. So it sounds like there's various different methods you can use, and you can almost bring them all together and and sort of aggregate those methods, yeah. and that'll give you a rough guide. Yeah, very much so. And look, just because you have a guide of the valuation. It doesn't mean you're going to get the property for that price. If there is a lot of heavy competition on that property and you don't time your offer correctly, that guide, that price point can be pushed well, well over. It really depends who who you're up against and how much money do they have in their bank to spend as well. So all of these things come into play. It's like a big collage of information when we're buying. It's not so straightforward at finding making an offer, shaking hands, and off you go. There's all these, like, it's a bit chaotic towards this part of the process, I'd say. Yep. Okay. Organised chaos, maybe. Organised chaos, exactly. (laughs) It's about controlling the environment, right? Controlling your processes and making calculated decisions along the way, I'd say. Yep. Okay. So now we're moving on to making the offer. So talk us through that, uh, Kim. So this will vary greatly depending on so many contributing factors. This is like one of the most crucial and hardest parts of the buying process is making the offer. You know, when we talk about negotiating, because we are, we are professional negotiators and the average person feels very uncomfortable against negotiating against a professional sales agent, for example. So the negotiations form part of the offer process. But I guess when we are negotiating, it's all about collecting information. If that agent has dropped little crumbs of information along the way, that'll help give you and form maybe where your offer needs to come in at in combination with how much the property is worth so that you're not completely guided by everything he or she is saying, but you also know what it's worth. So going through that process, once you have a a solid dollar figure that you're going to put on the contract, it's really important that you speak to the sales agent or whoever you're, you're buying from to find out where is the campaign at are the owners comfortable receiving offers now? Are they hell-bent on going to auction? What is the situation? Because a lot of people make the mistake of, like, seeing a property and then, like, they make an offer that afternoon and they, they make the offer over the phone and it really means nothing. It's just a verbal offer and the agent's kind of like, what? It it doesn't work like that necessarily. And it depends what area you're at and what, are the, what the agents are like as well. But I know with the competitive Sydney market, You have to be very calculated the way you make your offer. Find out when is a good time. Be strategic about when to strike. And when you do strike, make sure that you have 
all your ducks in a row. Don't make a verbal offer over the phone. Don't make an email offer. Have your contract signed. Waive your calling off period if you've made all of the due diligence beforehand. Have a 10% check for your deposit ready to go and be ready to seriously make a serious offer to that agent and give them a deadline. Yeah. That is how a lot of our transactions go. That's not always the case for some. It can vary. So please, everyone listening, don't take that as like the blanket cookie cutter rule of how you need to structure all your offers. But understand timing is a huge, important part of this. Try and make your offers unconditional as early in the campaign as possible because every week that passes, more and more buyers are pulling into your competition area, if you know what I mean. You've got all these buyers coming in and all of a sudden Greg from down the road wants to buy it. He's got X amount of dollars. This other person, this other new family comes in. All the way up until auction day, you have maximum capacity of buyers coming in that you're up against. If you make the offer like towards the beginning of the campaign, if it's possible, you're only up against the buyers that have come through so far, you know? So it's being strategic, you know, reading the situation and being able to put a good strategy in place with the information from the sales agent to know when to strike, give them a deadline, be serious and have a backup plan at the same time. Yeah. And Kim, can you just tell us, you mentioned the 10% deposit. Mm. Can you just tell us what, what you mean by that? Yeah. So look, typically, especially in New South Wales, and it will vary slightly for everybody else, there's there's two parts of the buying process. In New South Wales, we have something called an exchange. It's not called an exchange in, in some other states. That's basically the day that you sign the contract and you're, you're purchasing the property. The vendor signed, you've signed, you're buying it. At that exchange or at that signing of the contract, typically – of that 20% deposit is due to the seller. You have to hand over that portion of the cash. Now, in New South Wales, we have what's called a settlement period, which is standard of about 42 days. What that means is 42 days after our exchange or our signing of the contracts, that's when you get the keys on settlement day. And that's when the other 10% is due, and that's when the bank is going to pay their 80%, and the full 100% of that property is signed, still deliver, it's all yours. That will vary from person to person, depending on the size of their mortgage, depending on the amount of deposit they have, and depending on what's been agreed upon with the seller. Sometimes when we're going through that review of the contract phase, we might negotiate to only pay 5% upfront instead of 10% on exchange because the owner or the, the buyer, sorry, only has a very small deposit. So they only want to provide 5%. Sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But there's different percentages due at different times of the purchase and people need to be really clear about that before they go into it so that they don't get to the purchase day and go, shit, what am I doing? How much, where, where does my money need to be? And, and when do I need it by kind of thing? So it's like being organized again and strategic in the way that you're doing things. Yep. Okay. And you mentioned the, the word unconditional as well. Can you just explain in yeah. simple terms what that means? Yeah. So in different states have different rules for this, but there's two types of when you purchase the property on, on exchange, which is what we call it in New South Wales, and you sign the contract that day, you can uh, exchange conditionally or unconditionally. So if we exchange unconditionally, that basically means there's no backing out. There's no calling off period. It's done, dusted. Now we're waiting our 42 days until settlement when we collect the keys. If you exchange uh, with a cooling off period or some conditions, you may have another five or so days to basically carry out due diligence, do evaluation on the property and kind of like decide whether or not it's right for you. Every situation is, is very different and every state has different rules. In New South Wales, 
Typically, we have a five-day cooling-off period every time unless you have what's called a 66W certificate from your solicitor, which waives the cooling-off period and means when you exchange, you exchange and the deal is done. There's no backing out. Your 10% is due and we're in, we're locked in. If you exchange with a cooling-off period, you only have to pay 0.25% of the purchase price until it then goes unconditional after those five days, if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it does. It's it's confusing, and every state has slightly different rules around the standard cooling-off days, and some even don't even have a cooling-off period and, and deposits and things like that. So always check with your solicitor what applies to you, because your vendor or your seller may have different conditions as well. They may want to use your 10% deposit after exchange towards the purchase of another home. So they won't accept anything less than 10%. It can be very confusing. So ask the right questions, ask lots of questions, and just make sure that you're ready to go, whatever the case may be. So get a good lawyer that's going to really explain this stuff in more detail. Yep. Okay. So now that we've made the offer, no. Yeah. Second last step is the auction. Yeah. Yeah. So this, the auction episode that we have is really for people who they don't get that offer over the line. They do everything they can to, you know, negotiate, make an offer and give them the, the sales agent a deadline and nothing works. And the sales agent says, you know what, guys, there's too much, there's too much competition on this property. The vendor just wants to go to auction and you guys can fight it out on auction day. Auction is very daunting for a lot of people. You know, if you've never been to an auction, even though it's like it, like for me, I love auctions. They're like fun environments. It's all hype and, you know, it's very much adrenaline focused. But when you're the purchaser of that property, it's not so fun to go to. And there's a lot of things you need to do. You need to be registered before an auction and the sales agent will be the best person to guide people through the auction process as far as what they need to do because every auction will be a little bit different. Some might be in person, some might be online. So it's about going through that process with the sales agent, making sure you're ready for auction day, making sure your deposit is ready to be paid if you are successful and making sure all your ducks are lined up basically. So our auction episode just takes people through the ins and outs of the different types, what to expect, and some strategies that you could put in place to help win an auction, even if you don't have the most amount of money in the crowd. Yep. Yeah. All right. And then and then finally, we've got the purchase. Yeah. So this is the so final the, step. The final step is settlement. Look, This is the big day. This is the day when you're getting the keys and you get access to your home finally. A lot of clients that I have kind of freak out, oh, my God, I've taken the day off work. It's settlement day. Like, what do I need to do? Most of the time, you guys don't need to do anything on settlement day. It's a bit of an anticlimax settlement day. This is the day when we get the keys. So this is the day when your new mortgage that you got with your mortgage broker gets put on that new property. The previous owner's mortgage gets discharged and taken off. The lawyers do their thing. The banks do their thing. And they basically wrap it all up in a bow and get ready and get settled. Settlement is booked in at a time slot that day. I know that every time I do settlement, it's normally sometime in the afternoon with the lawyers, and they basically let me know when settlement is done. could take 15 minutes, could take three hours. It depends how complex all of the mortgages are and, and everything else. Once settlement has occurred, we're good. We can go pick up the keys from the sales agent. The place is ours. Done, dusted, finished. But there's a lot between, you know, there's a lot I haven't mentioned in this phone call, obviously, around the mortgage and getting bank valuations and different things that happen at different stage of the settlement period that I could talk to you about all, all day long. But there's just so much else for people to understand. But those big points that we went in today are definitely going to give people like some more framework around what to expect, I guess, when you are going through this process. Yeah. 
And I mean, you've obviously got the program to talk people and walk through people through this process. So how do people actually find you, Kim? And yeah, find so, that program. Yeah, so that program is on a platform platform called VOD Show, which I've sent you the link for, and we can provide that link to people. They can Google VOD Show and look up this program. It's called I Want to Buy a Home now what? And basically you can punch in James's code for the Holistic You podcast and everyone gets 25% off. You know, buyers agents normally charge tens of thousands of dollars for a service and this program is literally all of my life's work into a video nine-episode program that people can watch and really have an understanding of how to buy property for a, a very minimal cost. I think with your code, it's going to be like a hundred bucks, which is nothing in comparison to the service. And it's just going to help people to go through each of those steps bit by bit. They can watch it as they go through the buying process or they can watch it all and go back and rewatch different episodes. Once you buy it, it's all yours. It's unlimited. How many views? Absolutely, Kim. We, very thankful for the for the promotional code and yeah i think that's one of the things that stood you apart from your from your peers and obviously one of the reasons i was keen to get you on because i know we've talked before about having a niche and i'd say you're the the person that i've recognized as really providing that educational piece thank you and you've obviously yeah. got your and also kim's got a podcast as well <laughs> yeah so what's your what's your podcast called kim so my podcast is called The Property Bible, but it's a little play on words. It's B-U-Y, like buyer's agent. It's a property bible, and I interview all sorts of people, financial planners, mortgage brokers, person building people. There's a lot of stuff on the finance side of property as well as the buying process, all sorts of things on there. And I will be having like an investment season coming up shortly and a renovation season coming up to I'm going to renovate some properties and and put some stuff up there on the podcast as well. Okay. So so stay tuned everyone. Stay tuned. This this episode and and this show that we have is with a colleague of mine Jeremy Bedwani who's also senior buyer's agent at Trelease and the two of us basically host this and take everyone through everything they need to know so hopefully it's going to be helpful. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show Kim. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Holistic You podcast, where we inspire you with the confidence to live a happy, healthy, and more balanced life. If you found today's content meaningful, please tag me in your stories or posts or follow me on Instagram. Like and subscribe and leave a five-star written review.